Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at HCC at Home. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be specifically in Luke 19 this morning as we look at the story of Zacchaeus. If you've grown up in church or been to Sunday school or went to church as a kid, you've probably heard this story, maybe even learned the song. We'll sing just a little bit of it later. I'm sorry in advance. Um, and uh, But this morning being uh, Palm Sunday, I'm really excited to share this, this message with you because there's so much that goes on uh, within the story of Zacchaeus that, that leads into Holy Week, that leads into the purpose of what Jesus was here to do, why he came, and what he's, what he's trying to accomplish. And so this morning, I'm, I'm, again, I'm really, really excited to, to share this with you. I hope, you're, um, hope you had a great week. Hope you're settled, ready to hear God's word. Um, and as always, make sure that you're uh, posting comments or asking questions um, in either the, the Facebook or the YouTube uh, video. Post comments and questions. I'll take time tomorrow to reply to any comments or answer any questions that are posted. Um, and that gives us just another way to engage. So make sure you're doing that throughout my message. Uh, I'm going to pray, settle my heart, settle my spirit, and uh, hopefully be ready to present to you God's word this morning. So join me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much that in these uncertain times with everything going on that we can still gather together. God, we understand we're not together physically, but we're together spiritually. We're together as a body, as a community, and God, I pray that people feel that this morning. God, as they're gathered in their homes, as they're gathered at their, in their living rooms or in their kitchen tables or God, wherever they might be gathering, God, I pray that they feel connected to HCC, that they feel connected to this body, that they know they're loved, both by you and by staff and by elders and by people of this body. God, I pray that your spirit is huge wherever they are gathered. Like last week, we talked about um, Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and the, the smell of the perfume filled the room. God, I pray that your presence fills whatever room people are gathered in this morning, that when we can't meet together, God, you're still there. So God, this morning, I pray that you settle my heart, settle my mind, so that I can speak clearly what you've given me to speak. God, I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts that are ready to be molded, feet that are ready to move into action. And God, as always, anything that I say that is from me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone logs off. And God, everything that's from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read 10 verses. Here we go. He, he being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was short, apparently very short, maybe ridiculously short. Makes me think of Danny DeVito, but that's neither here nor there. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree or a fig tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's a singular house, not houses. He only had one house. Sorry for the typo. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Oh, just so much in those 10 verses, but I wanna make sure that we understand context and content and what's happening and where it's going. So on the screen, you see a map of Israel. Now, um, the story we talked about uh, last week occurred in Bethany. And Bethany is down here, you can see it circled. And Jesus was making his way from Galilee, which would be up here above the screen, down through Samaria and making his way to Jerusalem for the last time that he would enter into Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem for Passover. He stays in Bethany during most of the, of Holy Week because Jerusalem is jam-packed because uh, Passover is a, a meal where everyone, all Jews are welcome to come, celebrate Passover in the city of Jerusalem, and there's hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. And so Jesus and the disciples would have stayed in Bethany, um, but he hadn't made it there yet in this story. This story occurs just a little bit before that, um, before he gets to Bethany. And so he is in Jericho, which is right up here. And he's, again, making his way to Jerusalem, where he will have his triumphal entry. Um, Probably um, the following day, I believe, based on what I've studied, this either happened um, the Saturday before Palm Sunday or potentially the morning of Palm Sunday. We're really not sure exactly. Um, But this story occurs generally in that same time frame. Um, And I love, you can see it here, that um, most, most Jews, when they traveled from Galilee, which is up here, down to Jerusalem, they would avoid Samaria. Now, the fastest route is to go to Samaria, to Jericho, and to Jerusalem. But most Jews wouldn't do that because they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They weren't total people, and so most Jews would completely avoid all of Samaria and take a longer route. Jesus was a lover of all people, made sure he went through Samaria many times, was fairly well-known, and has a really fantastic encounter with a woman at a well in Samaria, another story for another time. Now, Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. And if you know the story, if you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Now, it goes on from there, but like I said, I didn't grow up in church, so that's all of the song I know. Some of you, that's gonna be stuck in your head all day, you can thank me later. And we don't know how short Zacchaeus was. He may have been average size, but when it says he was a wee little man and he was short in stature, again, I think of Danny DeVito. I think of about this tall, just ridiculously short, um, and he couldn't see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus not because he thought he was something special, to be honest with you. He wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector in the city of Jericho which means that he was in charge of all the other tax collectors. And the way tax collectors worked in Israel is Rome thought it was best not to have Roman citizens collect the taxes for the different uh, areas that that they took over. So what they would do is they would hire local people to collect the taxes from their own people. They didn't pay them very much, and the tax collector, if, if the, you're supposed to take $10 from these people, um, the tax collector could take 15 and keep five himself. 
And so what the tax collectors would do to become really wealthy is they would cheat their people. They would defraud their own people. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he would take from the tax collectors, kind of like a pyramid scheme. If they took five extra dollars, he would take two of their extra dollars. And so it kept trickling down so that the people in Jericho were probably being taxed a great deal and people probably hated Zacchaeus. If they knew who he was, they probably, probably hated him. But he was, a, he was a small man. And it's just, it really struck me when I was studying this, how many of us, myself included, have ever felt too small or too insignificant for Jesus? I just gave a, a message to the, the youth group that we posted online talking about um, how big the universe is and that, that God measures this, the, the, the span of his universe, the span of the universe with his hand and how small that can make us. But just because we feel small, we never should feel insignificant. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Lazarus when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and Jesus called him by name. He called into the grave and said, Lazarus, come out. He spoke to him exactly who he was. He knows you. You're not insignificant. With everything that's going on in the world, with everything that's happening in our culture, please do not feel insignificant. God knows exactly what's going on in your world, exactly the fears you have, exactly the stress you have. Many of us are under financial strain right now. God knows that. God knows what's going on. And God is there for you in those moments. God is there for you because he cares. And in this story, we see that God cared very much for this man that probably many people didn't care about. He was very wealthy. He was a chief tax collector. He was probably disliked by most people. But Jesus cared for him. And there's this whole story that we're looking at that's only there because Jesus cares about those no one else does. And so if you this morning feel like no one else cares, know that the God who created you cares specifically for you. Now, Zacchaeus made no excuses. He was too short, he couldn't see, he couldn't get to Jesus, and so the first thing he did was he ran. Now, just so you understand context, men in Israel didn't run. That's why I believe I should have been a Jewish man in the first century. They didn't run, especially rich men. It was undignified. They wore long robes and um, they would actually have to like hike them up like you would a dress to run. It was undignified, so he was undignified just to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. This unbeliever who didn't follow Jesus, didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God or anything at this point, undignified himself just to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Imagine that for a second. Imagine that for just a second, how powerful and how amazing Jesus must be that this unbeliever undignifies himself just to get a glimpse of who he is. And then he goes one further. He doesn't just run, he climbs a tree, like a child. This is what people would have thought. When Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus and people see Zacchaeus in the tree, they probably began to mock him. They probably began to laugh at him and poke fun at him of how ridiculous he looked and how undignified he must have been. And to me, that's a, that's a, a, a stark contrast between how much how many of us worship God who believe compared to this unbeliever who was just trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. 
That's a stark contrast. Many of us are very dignified, very upright, very prim and proper in how we do Christianity and how we worship and how we interact with God. But this unbeliever completely undignified himself in every form and fashion just to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. And it's also really, really interesting how many of us are looking for an intersection with God but quit after the first obstacle. We want God to interact with us. We want to meet God. We want to see God. We want to feel God. And we do this on Sunday mornings. Maybe you don't. You're probably much more spiritual than I am. But this is what I do. I wake up on Sunday morning so excited because I want to interact with God. I want an intersection between my life and God. And and I find that a lot of times on Sunday mornings at church. But what happens the first obstacle that comes in my way. Let's say my kids are not behaving the best way possible, and that frustrates me, and they're taking too long to get dressed, and if it's cool outside, they have to put their jacket on, and then they've got to zip it up, which all of you parents know, that's a 45-minute thing for them to zip up a coat, and now we're late for church, and I'm frustrated, and now I've missed the intersection with God because there was one small, tiny obstacle in my way. How many of us do that with the calling or the purpose that God has for us in life? That we say, we know this is what God wants us to do, we're sure of it, but there's one obstacle. And the first obstacle we go, oh, I guess God doesn't want me to do it. Zacchaeus made no excuses. He made sure that whatever it took, I'm going to see Jesus. And again, I have to reiterate over and over and over again, he didn't believe yet. He was an unbeliever who had to get people out of the way to see Jesus. And one more thing before we move on, and this is the part that challenges me so much in this story. The majority of the people who were in his way were already followers of Jesus. How often do we, me, how often do I, as a believer in Jesus, simply get in the way of unbelievers trying to see Jesus. I'm a very poor representation of Jesus, and we're gonna talk about that later in this message, but how often am I the obstacle for people to see the real Jesus? For people to experience the love of Jesus or to experience his presence, how many times am I what people are having to get around in order to see Jesus? Hopefully they don't have to climb a tree for me to see it, for me to get it. But Zacchaeus climbs a fig tree. It's a sycamore fig tree. It's, there's lots of different fig trees. It would have uh, had, it was a, a very large tree, but it had low-lying branches, so it was easy to climb. It's not like he was a monkey that was climbing a tree. It was easy for him to climb. Uh, but Jesus kind of has this interesting relationship with fig trees. Um, in the book of Mark, another one of the gospels written by Mark. In chapter 11, um, it's the Monday after uh, Palm Sunday. So it'd be tomorrow in the morning. Um, Jesus and his, his disciples are, I believe they're walking away from Jerusalem and they come to this fig tree and it's got leaves on it. Now leaves on a fig tree usually mean that there's fruit. And so Jesus was hungry. He goes to the fig tree because it's got fruit on it and there's no fruit. And he curses the fig tree and say, may fruit never be produced from you ever again. Now, what's really hard about the story is that the Bible tells us that that figs were not even in season. But what Jesus is making the point of is that the tree was leafy but fruitless. 
In that season, it shouldn't even have had leaves on it. It looked as though it should be producing fruit. And it wasn't. And he cursed it. And this is the entire message that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and Jesus gives to so many people throughout his time on earth is you look really spiritual. You look like you've got it all together, but you're not producing any of the fruit. Now what's really cool is you look in the story of Zacchaeus, he is the fruit in the tree that Jesus is actually looking for. He's looking for someone who is adamant about finding and seeing Jesus. That's the fruit that Jesus wants in the tree. And in the fig tree in Mark 11, it sure looked good. It has all the signs, it has all the Christian bumper stickers, and it only listens to Caleb, and it does all those things, but there's no changed life. Again, spoiler alert, Zacchaeus believes in Jesus, and there's this really cool interaction we're going to look at um, where he wants to give away all of his stuff and repay his debts, and it's just phenomenal what happens when someone has a real interaction with Jesus. But we see that Jesus wants fruit. He wants changed lives, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus, come down, come down. I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, at my house, when we have guests coming over, we do the uh, 15-minute mad dash cleanup, okay? I think most of you moms probably know exactly what I'm talking about, where um, you throw everything from the living room into your bedroom, You throw all the kids' toys into the room. You shut the door. You vacuum faster than you've ever vacuumed. You throw the dishes into the dishwasher. Like, you don't actually put them in the racks. You just throw them in there. You shut the thing to make it appear that you got it all together, right? Everyone does that? I think so, because we did it when I was a kid, too. And now we do it when I'm an adult, and I just don't understand why. If we all just admit we're a mess and our houses are a mess and our kids are a mess. We don't ever have to do this again. We can just live messy lives and it's okay. Let's band together, defeat this demon that is the 15 minute cleanup and we'll all be great. But Jesus says, I have to come to your house. I have to come to your house this morning, this evening. I think it was this morning. I must stay at your house today. And I found it really interesting how many of us are really fine going to Jesus's house but we really don't want him coming to ours. We're fine going to the house of the Lord, we're fine going to church on Sunday morning, and we're fine doing that and and, and doing the Jesus thing there, but for him to come back home with us is a little bit difficult, because when he comes back home with us, that means he wants to be involved in every element of my life. And that means there's a lot I have to give up. Because if Jesus comes home and he's God and he's Lord, that means he gets my comfortable recliner in the living room. He gets the seat of honor, right? Um, And then if he's really gonna get control, that means I have to give him the remote and he gets to pick what shows we watch. Um, And he's gonna be there and he's gonna see um, 
sometimes when I, when I don't react the right way or when I don't say the right thing because at church for two hours on Sunday, I'm really, really good about saying the right thing and having the right attitude and smiling all the time and too blessed to be stressed and all that stuff. But man, when I get home sometimes, um, I don't always do that. Every now and then I've been known to catch an attitude. Um, every now and then, as my kids tell me, I've been known to put my sassy pants on. Um, every now and then, I don't do things exactly the way that I'm supposed to. Now again, I intellectually understand that God is with me everywhere I go, but to make the point, I want us to understand that Jesus didn't invite Zacchaeus to his home. Jesus wanted to go to his. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I'll come in and have a meal with him. When Jesus has a meal with you, he's showing that he, uh, he connects with you. He identifies with you. In first century Israel, having a meal with someone meant that you identified with them. You associated yourself with them. And Jesus was always being mocked for eating with sinners. I say this all the time because I think this is, from, from being in church for 10 years, leading church for 10 years, this is probably the place where I see Christians struggling the most. Is this idea that, that we're supposed to be interacting with sinners. In fact, Jesus didn't pray to God that he would take his disciples out of the world. He said, no God, leave them in the world. The world needs them. The world needs us right now. In this very moment with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and, and people are desperate and looking for hope, the church should be the place for that. But far too often the church is a, uh, a monument to the saints and not a hospital for sinners. And this is the part that cracks me up. The part that cracks me about this story, the, these people actually thought that they were better than Zacchaeus. Now, yes, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was defrauding his people. He was robbing his people. He was an awful, awful guy. But I love in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15, um, Paul is, is telling Timothy that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Paul, who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, was the leading uh, missionary to the Gentiles, he was the one that propelled the gospel the farthest. He writes to his disciple Timothy and says, Jesus' purpose for coming was to save the lost, was to save the sinners, and I am the most lost that there's ever been. I am the greatest sinner that's ever sinned in the history of sin. And it reminds me all the time, as the Bible, the scripture says, to not think too highly of myself. Apart from the grace of God, I am nothing. I am Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to my house and even now as a pastor, you could absolutely say this about him with me. Oh, he's going to Pastor Brian's house? Oh man, Jesus is slumming today. He is eating with Brian. Do you know what he does? Do you know what he says? Do you know how he, he acts sometimes? Do you know how he gets angry? Do you know how he does this? Do you, do you know? Do you know? And Jesus is like, yeah, I I do. I do but I want to eat at his house. I'm a, I'm a downgrade for Jesus. Jesus isn't coming to my home to build his reputation. 
The fact that Jesus let me in the door, and I'm gonna be honest, let any of us in the door to salvation ruins his reputation. We are a really poor representation of Jesus. The Bible says that we're supposed to grow into the head of of the church, which is Christ. We're supposed to become more Christ-like, and with every day and every moment of my life, I'm trying to do that, but I battle against the spirit and the flesh, and my flesh wins far too often. And I'm reminded that I am just like Zacchaeus. Except that Jesus, I said yes. In this moment when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is an unbeliever, he's a sinner, but again, I'm gonna say it, if Jesus comes to my house, he is downgrading and I am ruining his reputation. And what's really interesting is when we all gather collectively as a church, we all together collectively ruin his reputation. Do you know what he calls us? Do you know what the Bible calls us when we gather all together as the church? It says that we're the bride of Jesus. With all of our flaws and all of our ugliness and all of our pettiness and all of the stuff that divides us, when we gather together like we're doing right now, we're the bride of Jesus who sees us as spotless, who sees us as perfect, who sees us as beautiful. I just want to take a moment, if we're going to be honest, like Paul was, all of us are struggling. All of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. And that's a free gift so that none of us can boast. And that's what these people were doing. Oh, I'm better than Zacchaeus. The The measuring stick is not someone else. The measuring stick is Jesus. And he was sinless and he was perfect. And I am so, so very not. And in the story, it it turns after this part. It turns because there's a a chunk of the story that we don't have. We don't have, we we have uh, Jesus saying, "I'm I'm gonna go to your house. And then we jump right to Zacchaeus saying, behold, Lord. So there had to be something in the middle. Now, I gotta be honest, I'm pretty sure I know what it was. I'm pretty sure I know what it was because here we see Zacchaeus saying, behold, Lord, which means that he has, been, he has now believed in who Jesus is. He has placed his faith. He has decided that Jesus is not just some guy. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some magician, that he is Lord. And he's submitting his life to him. That's what's happened. That's what this phrase says. Behold, Lord. Lord means I'm submitting myself to you. So if that's the case, I, I'm pretty sure I know what happened. Jesus would have been wrapping up about a 30-minute sermon. Um, and there would have been a specific point where when he said something, two of the disciples would have come behind him. One would have grabbed a guitar, and one of them got on the piano, and they would have played some nice, gentle background music and Jesus would have, would have um, in a very serious tone, um, told everyone to close their eyes and to bow their heads. And Jesus would have started this very eloquent, if today the Spirit of God has moved in your heart to believe that I am who I say I am, go ahead and raise your hand this morning and God, and repeat after me, 
Again, we, I'm making a joke because that's what happens and that's how so many people get saved and I believe wholeheartedly that there's no um, equation here, there's no recipe here because what we would have done is if Jesus said, so I said this and then I said this and then I did this, all of us in church would have gone, that's exactly how you save everyone. And Jesus is like, no, that's how it, it worked for Zacchaeus. It worked very differently for other people. But notice this. We don't know what happened. We don't know what was said, but we do know the result. And I think that's so much more important than the equation that gets us there or the recipe that creates this thing. How, we say, how people get saved or, or the course of action it takes or what ministry it was in or, or what church thing it was in or what conversation, that's all up to Jesus. The end result is that Zacchaeus believed and he was willing to give away half his possessions. That's what it says. He says, behold, Lord, I give. And what he's saying is I will. I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And I'm gonna pay back everyone I've defrauded. Now he says, if I have, which in the, in the Greek, um, the, the phrase if in the, in the context and how it's conjugated again, forgive me, um, it actually means I have. So what he's saying is I have defrauded people. I recognize that. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay him back fourfold. Now, in Leviticus and Numbers, the Jewish tradition was that you only had to pay back what you defrauded them plus 20%. So if he defrauded them 100 bucks, he would have paid them $120 and been on their way. And he's like, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. I have done wrong. I have defrauded people. I'm gonna pay them back 400 bucks. I stole from them 100. They're gonna get $400 from me. And people that worked for Zacchaeus were probably sitting there going, what? We're gonna have no more money. He's gonna go broke. I don't think I'm gonna get paid. And Zacchaeus is like, we'll figure it out. I've done wrong. But if you notice in the story, Jesus never asks him to do that. This was his own spirit when he said, Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Something inside of him changed. And that's what Jesus is about. Because he said, today salvation has come to your house. And we know that there has been change in Zacchaeus. We know that his life is no longer the same, that his priorities are no longer the same. He starts with calling Jesus Lord and then is willing to give half of his money and, and, and to take care of everyone he defrauded and ask forgiveness and deal with it. And we saw this in the raising of, of Lazarus when, when Jesus is talking to Martha, he, she says, your brother will rise again. And she says, yes, I understand. In the days to come, at the end of days, he'll rise again. And Jesus says, no, 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 sweetie. I, I am the resurrection and the life. And what Jesus is saying here in, in Luke 19 is the exact same thing. Behold, salvation has come to your house today because Jesus entered the picture. Jesus is the source of salvation. Jesus is the source of hope. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, our Lord. He is everything. He has preeminence, which means he is the central idea of all of the things. We have to understand that Jesus was not declaring that, oh, because you want to do all the right things now, you're saved. No, he's saved because he says, behold, Lord. 
Everything else is bonus points. Everything else is sanctification. Salvation comes when we admit our unworthiness, when we admit our hopeless state and decide that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He's perfectly man, he's perfectly God, and he has come to seek and to save the lost. Now we hate this statement. We don't like the phrase lost, but let's be honest. How many of us with Jesus still walk around lost because we forget that he is Lord? Our biggest idol is ourself and our own flesh, and we put ourselves above Jesus, and we forget exactly where Zacchaeus started, Lord. Now this verse is the summary statement for the entire book of Luke. That the purpose of of the coming of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. He created a way to grab God's hand and our hands and on the, on the cross that occurs on Friday when he gave his life, he wasn't murdered, he gave his life as a ransom for many. He brought the two hands together so that we can be reconciled back to our creator, to be made right, to have right standing, to be saved from hopelessness. Jesus did not die to make bad men good. He died to make dead men alive. You have life in Jesus when you say yes. Zacchaeus went not from being a bad person to a good person. He went from being a man destined to die to a man who had eternal life, to a man who had peace and hope and love because he was reconciled to his creator. And it all happened because Jesus looked up. I want to show this to you. I want to show this to you. Sorry, let's get back there. Where'd it go? Here it is. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. What we have to do this morning, what I have to do this morning, is stop looking at my current circumstances. Stop looking at what is happening at my feet and around me and look up. Set your eyes on things above. Focus on God, what is he doing? Not what he has done or what he's going to do, but look at what Jesus is doing right now because this morning, some of you are, 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 are watching this because someone invited you or, or you know someone who goes to church here and some of you are watching this because you wanted an intersection with God in your life. You're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and you're exactly what Zacchaeus was doing. You are looking for an intersection with Jesus. Fun fact, that tree that Zacchaeus climbed was started years, decades before Zacchaeus ever climbed it. Zacchaeus thought that he was running around the crowd and climbing up into a tree so he could create an intersection between him and Jesus. God had already started the process. God had already started the process with you. You are listening and you are watching this morning because God is creating an intersection with you. Look up and see what he is doing. Look up and see the heart that he has for you. Look up and see that Jesus is the savior of the world, that he loves each and every one of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe, whosoever, whoever would believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. And you can be made right and have right standing with your God and your creator and you have purpose in this life and you have a plan in this life and you have things to do and you have, you have a calling in this life. And all it takes is to believe. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God sent him, 
to die for your sin, to live the perfect life, to be crucified on Friday, resurrected next Sunday. And because of that, you can have eternal life. And for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus, look up. Look up and see who God is placing in your life. Who is your Zacchaeus? Now again, we can't go to their house and have a meal. We understand that. But who do you need to text today? Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to email today? Look up. What is God doing right now? And for all of us who attend HCC, what is God doing right now? God has a, had a great past he gave us and we were, were amazing, we did amazing things and God has a future for us and we're gonna do amazing things but what about right now? In this very moment, in this very season when we can't gather together and church is different and church feels weird and church feels odd, what about right now? Look up HCC and see what God is doing. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you, you looked up and saw us. You looked up and saw me. God, 19 years ago, I was, I was Zacchaeus. I came to a church because someone invited me and, and, and I was there and I was just trying to see who this Jesus was. God, you called out my name and you forgave my sins, and you set me free from addictions, and you, you changed my life in a moment. And God, so many people listening to me right now can say the same thing, that God, you changed their life. And God, that's why we call you Lord, because you're so worthy, you're so good, you're so kind, you're so gracious, you're filled with love, you're the, your central core characteristic is love. And so God, this morning, I pray that we know your love in the same way you loved Zacchaeus so much that you lowered yourself, you ruined your reputation, you were mocked so you could go to his house and explain to him who you are, to provide grace to him, to provide freedom to him, to provide your love to him so that he could decide to call you Lord and it changed his eternity. And God, this morning, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly and I pray that God in every household, that is listening right now, that salvation has come to that house because your presence is there, your Holy Spirit is there, and God, lives are gonna be changed this morning because you are amazing. God, help us to love you more. Help us to accept your grace, accept your freedom, and God, if there's anyone listening who has never said yes to you, God, may they reach out. May they contact the church office. May they contact myself. May they contact someone they know that goes to HCC or anyone that they know that believes in Jesus. Let them say, I want to believe. I want my life to have a purpose and a meaning. And I want to be secure in knowing that for the rest of eternity, I will be spending it in the presence of the God who loves me. God, thank you so much that we can gather this morning in your presence, in your name, as your church, as your bride, with all of our flaws, and you call us beautiful. God, this is for your glory and your glory alone. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.